The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I am joined by my colleague, uh, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is LA Times columnist, Erica Smith, who writes about politics and diversity in places and is now caught up as many of us are in the ongoing scandal of the leaked audio tapes in LA. Erica, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, can you, where are we now in this thing? It's been developing over a period of <laughs> days. We know that Nuri Martinez has stepped down, yes. not only from her presidential, I mean, from her head of the council, but also left the job entirely. Yes, she's um, left the job. And so did Ron Herrera, the labor fed. Where mm-hmm. are we, what's going on now? So, you know, as you mentioned, there's the the four people who were involved with this this meeting that was recorded in October of last year. Um, it was ostensibly about redistricting, but it obviously veered into some really racist uh, conversations. Um, you know, they pretty much offended, you know, most groups, you know, from the LGBT community to black folks to Armenians. I mean, you kind of name it. They've they've um, kind of managed to insult them in the course of an hour. Um Right now, as you mentioned, uh, former President Nuri Martinez of the council has stepped down. She stepped down as president earlier in the week. Now she's gone from the council. Uh, Ron Herrera, who is the um, head of the labor fed here in L.A., also was involved in the meeting, has has offered his resignation. Um, at the time that we're talking about this, uh, Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon, both members of the city council, have not resigned, though the pressure is on for them to do so. We'll see you know, what they do over the next few days. Um, and really right now the council in a lot of ways is at a standstill. They haven't really been able to meet. They tried to meet twice this week. Um, they were somewhat successful on Tuesday in getting a couple things done, but protesters have showed up and have vowed to shut down the council meeting until they get resignations from all of the members involved. Um, they're, uh, the council is scheduled to meet next Tuesday. Um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but you know, it, 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 right now it's kind of at a standstill and, and there's a sense of, you know, kind of what comes next. I think everybody's in LA is just trying to figure that out other than, you know, processing the anger and the rage and, um, and that sort of thing. And they're not able to get a majority or a quorum. I'm no. not sure. They're not. No, there's 15 members on the council. You need a, 10 people to have a quorum. And so with uh, Nuri Martinez gone, that's down to 14. Um, it, it, on t- Friday, or actually I take that back on Thursday, they tried to meet. Um, and, uh, Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon didn't show up, so that takes it down to, to 13. Also, uh, Marquise Harris-Dawson, who is a, a Black council member uh, representing part of South LA, and Mike Bonin, who was uh, in, insulted in that recording by those members, They're particularly his adopted Black son, uh, was called a monkey, and so he's understandably upset. Also, is tested positive for COVID um, in the midst of all of this, and oh, so he was. Yeah, so he wasn't able to. He did not, you know, attend. So basically, once Marquise tried to go to the council meeting, then he left, and then they lost a quorum, and so they weren't able to meet. And so the question is whether Marquise is going to show up on, you know, on Tuesday. If if Bonin's going to be able to show up by Zoom, I guess they're doing it, or maybe he'd be. I'm assuming he wouldn't be in person since he's just tested positive. Um, so the question is whether they'll be able to have a quorum and, and actually meet and actually do something. Um, but yeah, that's you, the problem. You see any investigations, any other investigations coming out of this? Obviously, this incident, these tapes are something else. But mm-hmm. one of the quotes I saw from Martinez on the tapes is that she was doing deals for the um, 2028 Olympics. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, chatter about who's doing what, you know, who I know the attorney general Bonta has has launched an investigation, a kind of a civil rights investigation, looking at the redistricting process, which, again, was what they were discussing in this in this recording. Um, There's, you know, I to be honest with you, there's so many things going on and so many potential investigations, even for me in L.A. in the midst of this, it's kind of hard to keep them all straight. Uh, So um, I I kind of at the moment where like pretty much anything can happen. (laughs) You know, know. I I agree. I was looking at a a fact piece you guys ran, I think, um, yesterday, and it just started listing these and half of them I'd forgotten about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wow. I mean, there are cases of, you know, developers, right, members of the council, one of them. Um, is already in prison. Another one um, is his brother, I guess, just testified this. Wizar's brother mm-hmm. just testified that he had taken envelopes of cash and his brother, the council member then, mm-hmm. told him, you know, write a check from your bank account that's exactly the same as the amount you got. I mean, there's money laundering issues there. Then there's mayor's staff got into this problem with sexual harassment allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've always thought of LA as kind of like, laid back la la land but now i'm starting to <laughs> revisit the whole thing you know yeah there's a as somebody had said earlier this week it's like la is the biggest corrupt city in the country right now and it's hard to make the argument that it's not at the moment um we also have to remember you know eric garcetti it's not you know quite corruption but he's up for the ambassadorship in india but his uh his nomination has kind of been dogged and, and stuck uh in congress because of allegations that he covered up uh, sexual harassment involving, you know, an aide who turned a blind eye to it. You know, that of course has not been proven by any means, but it's been enough to kind of put his seemingly put his nomination on ice for the time being. So there's, you know, Bond is investigating. The attorney general's investigating, and uh, the the subtext of this whole thing is redistricting. Correct. And redistricting uh, is incredibly partisan and ugly, and it was in California until really some independent citizen redistricting commissions were set up. The state did a couple for legislature, legislative races in Congress. Uh, and I think uh, five or six counties have these commissions, including Sacramento, LA, and San Francisco. The counties have them. And more than a dozen cities, but the, the biggest city in the state, obviously Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles does not have them. It's been doing it in sort of uh, the old fashioned way. Yeah. And would this lead to, reforms there do you think is this something Bonta would look at you know I think that's definitely something he's looking at I mean he I don't know if he's looking at necessarily the need for a reform I think he's looking at what happened uh, in 2021 that uh-huh. said um, one of the things the council was able to accomplish after this is you know after this happened is that they were able to push forward a proposal we'll see where it goes to, for to basically do some reform to the way that we do redistricting to make it more independent. Because right now the council members have a lot of say, I mean, they vote on their maps at the end of the day. And so it's an inherently political process um, as we heard at this recording. Um, And there's a sense that, you know, people aren't being represented. Another reform that has come about and we'll see it's kind of tied to this, but so LA city council has 15 members and that hasn't changed in, you know, decades, despite the fact that the, the size of the city has grown dramatically. And so there's another proposal idea floating around that would increase the size of the city council. The theory being that more, it would be able to better represent the number of people, smaller districts, you know, and and I think that that is something that uh, I've heard a lot of support for as well. So I do think this is going to prompt a number of reforms and maybe, and probably they're long overdue reforms. Um, And so 
you know, that is, I guess, the silver lining of this is that maybe once all of this is done, we'll get a system of city government that's more accountable and transparent to the people. One thing that was really ugly about this is, uh, is the, obviously the racial epithets, but Latinos versus Blacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years ago in LA, I remember uh, on one, one cycle, I went down to an election cycle, I was at the AP then, and I went down, I was in LA, and I heard from a number of people down there that there was a lot of anger uh, uh, among the Black community that the Latino, Latinos were really taking over South Central. There was a huge influx. There's a lot of tension between the two, uh, between the two groups, and it, that seemed to play out in these comments too. Not so much the African American end, but from the Latino end, they seem to be sort of feeling they're in control. And how dare these other people usurp their authority with all their numbers in LA? That was my take. Mm-hmm. Am I seeing that in any kind of accurate way? Or no? <laughs> no, I definitely think that's that's true. I mean, what's interesting is you know I think as you both know, I'm, I'm rather new to LA. I've been there since 2018, but you know, in my time here, one of the things that's been very apparent is that, you know, the relationship between the Black and Latino communities and within that relationship, the inherent tension, which I think comes back to this power struggle. And that was very apparent um, just as a journalist out covering things during redistricting. I mean, it was on, you know, full display uh, for anybody who cared to, to listen. And I think, and so in that way, I'm not entirely surprised this kind of conversation happened because I was hearing, you know, just the angst, uh, you know, and I think it, a lot of it in, in particularly in South LA is as the black population continues to shrink and almost more than that, as visible cultural centers for black Angelinos continue to shrink. Like I've written a lot about Lamert Park in South LA, which was you know historic home of, you know, black Angelinos. And, you know, it's right now in the midst of gentrification, just you know, this month there was a, a new rail line that opened there. And, and the thought is, is that it's going to exacerbate uh, the gentrification that's already taken place there as housing prices rise, as people, um, a lot of older residents kind of either sell their homes or, or pass away or, or, or leave, um, that other people of other races come in and move in. Um, you know, there's all of this, this is huge turnover, right? And so there's the sense of not only a loss of numbers uh, due to forces that are bigger than a lot of like individual control, but also with it, this lack of political power or potential loss of political power. And, and I think that this tape really hit home on that because I think that LA has done a really done a lot of work over the last few decades to really build these kind of black, brown, black, Latino alliances. But, you know, there was always this sense that, you know, the hope was that you'd elect people who understood that the needs of Latinos and blacks are, similar in a lot of ways that, you know, there is a poverty level there. There's um, policies that need to take place um, as far as like uh, services and like, you know, anything transit, you name it, there's a lot of shared need. Um, But the idea that we'd have three black Latino elected officials on the city council who are looking at it at politics is not um, a way to help all people in LA or, or black and Latino people equally, but as a zero sum game. That I think is something that struck a lot of fear uh, in, in at least in Black Los Angeles, and I and I've heard a lot of it this week, and I think it's a lot of suspicion, a lot of anger, um, and that's going to be the hard part I think in rebuilding trust to make sure that whoever gets elected, you know, to you know Martinez's seat, assuming De Leon and CDO drop, step down, who gets onto their seat, that there's somebody that people can trust, and I think that's going to be really hard. 
Well, and, you know, speaking of Kevin DeLeon or Cidio stepping down, will that happen? I mean, so far, mm-hmm. they neither of them have made any move towards stepping down. And, uh, you know, I remember Kevin DeLeon from his time up here. Uh, and he's like a very determined guy. And he's the governor's not called for him to step down, which is an interesting nuance there. Uh, I mean, is it is the sense down there that they will ultimately have to leave? Or are they going to be drag kicking and screaming out through a recall? Or, you know, what what do you expect there? I think right now it's still the full course court press, you know, that they should leave. I mean, we had President Biden who basically said that they should step down, which I mean, I kind of feel like when the president of the United States says you should step down, you probably should. But, you know, um, the, the, I will say that, you know, Kevin DeLeon and Cedillo are in kind of different situations. So Cedillo is going to be out at the end of the year. He lost reelection. Um, and right. so that that's just literally a matter of a few months. Um, and then but Kevin DeLeon, he has, you know, a couple of years left on his term. And so I do feel like he and, you know, as, as you mentioned, I met him when I lived in Sacramento as well, when I was covering the legislature. And this is his career. And he, you know, he was considered not very long ago, a rising star. I mean, he ran against Dianne Feinstein and got, you know, a higher percentage of the vote than a lot of people had expected. And so he went from being thinking he's going to have a long career ahead of him to now facing the reality that he's either ruined it completely or he has severely hobbled it. And I think, you know, from what I'm hearing, people, all of their, and there's nobody around that's saying they should stay. So it's a matter of their adjustment period of how long they're going to take this. Um, I think my best guess, and you know, take this with a grain of salt, is that, you know, I think Cedillo will step down first. I think in part, you could make the argument that why step down because he's only got a couple months. I think he'll step down just because he has a couple months left and why deal with the hassle. I think uh, De Leon would be a different story. I think he might try to drag it out. But I also think that the way that city government is run, protesters are saying, you know, they've been protesting at his house every single day and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop blocking city council meetings. If, if the city council can't have a quorum to even set a special election to replace, say, Martinez or to replace Cedillo when an F.E. steps down, Kevin DeLeon is going to be the one that's going to be the one that's blamed for this. And like, however bad he looks right now, like people might forget, you know, what he said a few years from now. But if he's the person that drags out city business for a month right before a mayoral election and contracts can't get approved, necessary services for the public can't happen. I mean, he's going to, everybody's going to remember that. And so I do think the pressure eventually on him to step down will, will do it. Cause I just don't see it being tenable for either of them to continue to serve in the city council and for the city council to move on with business as it is. I just don't see that. I don't see that scenario working. And so something has to change. And I don't think, and nothing that I'm saying has not been said by Mayor Garcetti, by Rick Caruso, by Karen Bass, who are both running for mayor, by the president. Like this, these are being saying, these are things being, being said by everybody. So it's it's not just me talking. So I think that they will step down. It's just a matter of time. Where, where's the labor fed in all this? The, the recording apparently was in an office of the County Labor Federation, mm-hmm. a relatively small office is one of the details I read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear how it was recorded. Did somebody there record it? Was it physically a bug that was in place? I've seen speculation both ways. Um, why did they meet in that room? I mean, did, were they escorted to that room? I know I'm getting into like the conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> why the labor fed? I mean, why there? 
Well, I mean, there's lots of and there's lots of speculation about this and not a, a lot of hard core fact. So, yeah. you know, again, it has never you. stopped us before. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, they were meeting at the labor fed ups because it was redistricting. And the idea was that they were there to to solicit the advice of Ron Herrera, who was before stepping down, you know, head of the L.A. labor fed. Um, and so the meeting was between the four of them about um, just redistricting and about um, how to basically hang on and solidify Latino power. And so that was why they were meeting there. It's unclear who recorded it. Um, there's some speculation that it was a, a Fed employee who was had a kind of an axe to grind that maybe wanted uh, to, who, against Herrera himself or against some of the leadership of the Fed that potentially was too conservative. And they were hoping that, you know, that the Fed could become more left, more progressive. That's one theory we've heard. Um, you know, what we do know is that the audio was posted to Reddit by an anonymous user before it was taken down. The Fed has said that, you know, that their offices were bugged more than one room. So we're assuming that that is more than one room. Okay. Yeah, I've, at least that's what I've heard. <laughs> so more than one room, but particularly that room. So we don't know. I mean, it's not clear by who <laughs> and, and for what specific purpose and more to the point of why it was released now. I mean, we got to remember this conversation happened a year ago. So there's, you know, political, obviously, reasons that this was released now that which aren't exactly clear other than obviously there's elections going on. Um, and, and the Labor Fed went after the L.A. Times, right? And may still be doing that with a lawsuit. Yeah, for... For, for us publishing it, but, you know, our attorneys, like, basically, like, no. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I think we're on pretty solid legal footing for releasing this audio. I mean, it's pretty much covered. Under- it certainly seems newsworthy. And if yeah. I mean, you can clarify. So the audio was recorded a year ago, but it was only leaked to or put on Reddit very recently. Yes. I read somewhere that it had been put on Reddit and then pulled down, but I don't, I never saw that May that was not clear if that was a misunderstanding of the situation or if that was just something. Uh, yeah. So my understanding is that it was put up fairly recently and then removed. But like I, again, I could actually be wrong on that myself. But my understanding is that it was put up fairly recently. It wasn't like it wasn't. It didn't surface on Reddit last year, right after it happened. Um, that would certainly make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, hence the October surprise. But and yeah, you, so uh, the. The labor fed person, I really did not know him. I, I think I had heard the name, but beyond that, uh, were you familiar with him at all before this? Did he have a reputation or, you know, can you speak about his role or, you know, role in this? You know, I wasn't uh, as familiar with him. I have, I have, he and I have not crossed paths, but I, what I do know and I've learned in the last week or so is, you know, he was a very powerful leader as the fed is obviously a very powerful uh power uh, player in politics here in LA and, you know, across the state. So, um, but I do know that what he was not as progressive, I think, as a lot of people in LA would like him to be. I mean, it was kind of that same old school kind of tribal uh, race based, ethnicity based politics. Um, And we've seen in the last few years, uh, really since 2020, this kind of probably even before that, to be honest, but like an emergence of younger political leaders who don't kind of play by those rules and are just, you know, just left to an extent. Like, for example, we have um, a gentleman named Aaron Darling, who's running for city council seat on the west side. It's an open seat. Uh, Mike Bonin is not running again. He's a 
the white guy, his wife is black. Uh, and it was interesting. They had a press conference earlier this week where um, uh, Marquise Harris Dawson is one of our, our black city councilmen. Isaac Bryan is in, in Sacramento, represents parts of South LA. And a few others were holding a press conference to endorse him and also to denounce what had happened with the leaked recording. And it was at one point, I think it was a Telemundo station asked if, you know, either of the two, the assemblyman or the councilman spoke Spanish and, and they both shook their heads. And Aaron Darlin steps up and gives his entire, you know, press conferences in Spanish. So it's like, this is like, you know, this is the, the leadership that we're getting, you know, that's very, very, very progressive, you know, unapologetically so. Um, and, you know, their politics are just don't necessarily mesh with what the kind of politics that Ron Herrera and the, and, and the Fed under his leadership, you know, really put forth. And so I do think, you know, if you want to talk about conspiracy theories and theories, and if somebody was recording something to kind of, you know, oust, you know, embarrass Herrera or oust him or change the leadership, I mean, that at the very least would make some sense. Um, so I don't know, we'll see as more information starts to, to trickle out. Has, have any names popped up as a possible replacement for him? You know, I have not heard, I'm sure there have. <laughs> I don't know who that will be. Um, <laughs> be. It'd be very interesting to see who they do pick and how fast they, they pick this person. Labor Fed's a big deal in LA County. And mm -hmm. uh, for Democrats especially, uh, you, getting their blessing, getting their endorsement is a huge step towards oh, getting yeah. for the legislature anyway. Assume that plays out locally. Mm -hmm. uh, very similar to the CTA in other parts of California, maybe LA too. Mm -hmm. If you're a Democrat and you want to get elected, you need to go there. And I think the public doesn't quite see it that way, but the political reporters see it and people who cover politics see their, the labor fit as a major uh, you know, it's a major, major factor in Los Angeles politics. Oh, yeah, even absolutely. Never, even if you've never heard of Ron Herrera, the labor Fed's a big deal. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be a very interesting development to see how that happens and what that the implications of all of this are for the labor movement, which, you know, has gone through its own changes in the last few years is, you know, what was the typical union membership? Now we've expanded. It's like fast food workers and, you know, it's become a different kind of coalition uh, of working class folks. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Erica, do you see, uh, just one last question, do you mm -hmm. see uh, how will this play out or do you see this playing out in the next elections, in the city council elections? How is this gonna play out, do you think? Well, it's interesting because again, you know, we, this is like the first election, really major election where we, everybody is getting a ballot in the mail. I mean, we were at Sacramento, I know did it a few years ago. We all now have ballots in the mail. Um, and so this is all playing out literally as ballots are arriving, you know, in people's mailboxes. And so it, I think this issue is going to be very much top of mind, um, particularly because it's not like all three council members resigned in the first week after this. And we're like moving on to the special elections. I mean, this is going to drag out, you know, through throughout the month of October. And so I think that in the mayoral race, I think the candidates have to stake out a position on what they would do not only to rebuild trust with the public in city government, which as we talked about has had a series of scandals even before this, um, but also how they would approach kind of bringing the community back together and, you know, kind of healing these racial divisions that have emerged in the wake of this recording. And so I think that that factors into who they pick, right? It's not where prior to this, it was mostly 
you know, I think people were basing who they were going to pick as much on what they would do about homelessness and, and affordable housing as, you know, crime, which were the top issues in the race. And now I think this is another third wheel or peg or whatever you want to call it. And so it will absolutely make a difference in this race. I just, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how much uh, of a difference, but I do think that. And, and I will say, you know, Karen Bass has kind of staked out her, her side of this being that, you know, early in her career, she founded Community Coalition, which among other things, basically was designed to bring together Black and Latino communities towards common political goals to help their communities. And so like she's done that work. And so, you know, she has that ability to trot out this information. Like I've done this work. I did it for 30 years and, and community coalition still exists. And it's, you know, saying the same thing. Caruso has painted himself as this outsider who, um, you know, has not, who's not involved in the day-to-day lives or day-to-day work of all of these people who are involved in the city hall scandals. And there's, he's saying that Karen Bass obviously has been endorsed by a majority of the people on the council. And so, you know, he's positioning himself as this outsider who can clean up what's been going on. So, I mean, we'll see whether, what people want, you know, do they want this, they believe in the idea of having an outsider come through and clean up, or did they believe that, you know, Karen Bass, given her history um, in dealing with these kinds of uh, community issues is the best person to, to come in and do these things. Erica Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you. Are, are, are we gonna wade into the uh, segue into the who had the worst week in California politics? I think we've just spent half an hour talking about that. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think we all know who had the worst week in California politics. This week would be uh, those four people uh, certainly had the worst week. Um, yeesh. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to have a much worse week than they really had. And I will say, you know, um, we touched on something. Uh, did mention I like to keep, keep track to see if the governor has endorsed in the LA mayor's race. As we noted before, he has still not. Uh, but he did, uh, even though he says he doesn't like to endorse on Dem on Dem races, did just endorse Bob Hertzberg. Yeah. So. Uh, there's that. And then the irony here is that Bob Hertzberg probably would have been a top candidate for worst week if it hadn't been for the LA Council recordings, because he got nailed with a letter signed by, I think, about 75 people saying that he had been uh, sort of inappropriate with them. And I think Senator Connie Leva was sure. the highest name on that list. So he so, would endorse his opponent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Hertzberg actually had a great week in that, uh, you know, if there was a week to have that letter drop, it was this week. This was the week. Yeah, you're right. Totally true. Erica, thank you again. Thanks thank so you. much. Jim thank Fox, you. Thank you very much. And uh, this John Howard, we'll see you next time around. Thanks again. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.